0: sung about that then. All right, we have just recently finished our um, sermon series on the book of Jeremiah, but uh, last week we, um, uh, we saw this, that sort of phrase there that Jeremiah spoke about, uh, God is our portion. We looked at that a little bit, how God is our treasure. And uh, we're going to look at a little bit at that today as we think about that um, A few years ago, though, in the local Shep newspaper here, they often would have a reporter go around town, probably down around the mall area over there, and just ask people a few questions. And one of the most popular questions, or the one common question was, uh, what is the one thing you want to achieve in your life? Or what's your life goal? And it was interesting when I um, would see the comments or the responses to that, Now occasionally some people would say, look, I want to see the pyramids of Egypt or I want to climb the Great Wall of China or I want to see Niagara Falls or some of those sort of seven wonders of the world type thing. But more often than not, and probably 90% of the time, the answer to this question was, what is your life goal or what is the one thing you want to achieve in life? The answer was this, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy and I want my family to be happy as well. I just want to be happy. The gospel that we believe in today, the eternal gospel, is a gospel of joy. It is a gospel of joy. Turn with me in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 16 as we uh, think about that. John chapter 16 and we're going to start at uh, verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you'll ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you receive. That your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I've come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Uh, Lord, we just uh, give you thanks and praise that we can come and read this uh, glorious passage of Scripture. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would come and uh, open up our eyes to see the truth that's being communicated here. Uh, We ask and pray as we think about the sorrow that these disciples are about to go through, but then to have this time of rejoicing, we find ourselves in the same place in this world, Lord. But, Father, we want to think about that joy today, that joy that nobody can take away from us. So help us now, we ask, Holy Spirit, as we think about that, that you would enlighten our hearts and help us to experience this joy, the aliveness of who God is living and dwelling within us. We ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we said last week, we looked at Jeremiah and he made the statement, the Lord is my portion. We're going to think about that today as we think about that God is our portion or our treasure, which then flows directly into our relationship Uh, with Jesus Christ. When we become a follower of Jesus Christ, it's here where we discover the treasure that God is. And if there's something we know about treasure, they're meant to be enjoyed, aren't they? You might have seen some of those movies in the past where the pirates go and sort of mass their, uh, their bag of loot and gather their treasure, and they live to enjoy that treasure that they've accumulated. That's what they do. So in a similar way, but far more deeper and meaningful than a pirate and his gold, Uh, Our relationship with Jesus Christ is an eternal relationship of joy. Joy. It's meant to be an eternal relationship of joy. That's where we want to go today as we think about this passage here in John. We want to grasp and see uh, the joy that the Holy Spirit builds into our life uh, as a disciple following Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Master. Let's set the scene though first for what's uh, happening in this passage. Uh, This passage here, we have Jesus in the upper room, the Last Supper. Uh, He's on the night of his betrayal, and the cross is probably only hours away uh, for what Jesus is about to go through. So he spends this last night, this last meal as it were, teaching much to the disciples here about what is happening now in their lives and what is about to come for those guys in the next uh, day or so and leading on to that the next 40 days or so as well. Uh, Jesus teaches much here about the Holy Spirit as well in this uh, particular teaching of the Last Supper and this uh, time that Jesus has them. And let me say this about the Holy Spirit. If there's no Holy Spirit, there's no Gospel. If there's no Holy Spirit, there's no Gospel. Uh, What that means is that the Holy Spirit is God's way of bringing understanding to people's hearts and minds about the message of the Gospel. It's a miracle that anybody is saved and that miracle is performed by God's Holy Spirit, opening up our blind eyes and our deaf ears to see and to hear uh, the mystery of the gospel where it becomes unveiled to us. So, if there's no Holy Spirit working in that way, there'll be no gospel. And for where we're going today with this idea of joy, the Holy Spirit is a critical uh, factor here in knowing and experiencing the joy that God wants us to know and experience. In relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was critical for the disciples back then. And Jesus was about to lead them and go back to the Father. So Jesus is telling them here, uh, just prior to this passage, I'm going to send you the helper. And he will come and uh, be God's empowering presence in your life to equip you and to enable you to live as a follower of Jesus and to carry out this mission of the gospel and to know God in every way. So as Jesus is talking about this with these guys, with the disciples, this going and then coming back again, and these guys are in confusion. They don't know what's going on, particularly in verses 16 to 18. Uh, They're puzzled there. They can't work this out. What's Jesus on about at this time? What's Jesus talking about? Well, this is what he's talking about. He's saying this, in a little while, you won't see me. In other words, I'm actually going to the cross to be crucified. I'll die and I'll no longer be with you. That's going to happen in a little while. And then he says again, in a little while you will see me. You'll see me again because I'm going to rise from the grave. Death will not keep me down and you'll see me alive again. Then again after that he says, probably namely 40 days later, I will return to the Father and you won't see me again as you do now. So it's a bit of coming and going for the disciples and they're not quite sure what's going on here, what to make of all this. The disciples don't fully get it at this stage because God hasn't revealed these things to them in clarity at this point in time. They believed at that particular time that Jesus was bringing in God's kingdom here and now, there and then, right on the spot. They just sort of thought this is all going to be this this victorious thing right then. But that wasn't God's plan at that time, but that's how they were thinking about that. The cross and the resurrection were still hidden from their eyes with complete clarity at this particular time. Then Jesus goes on to the next few verses, verses 19 to 24, to comfort them about this. He says, yes, you'll have weeping and you'll have sadness. You will lament and you'll be filled with sorrow. But this sadness will turn into rejoicing. And Jesus gives the example there, just like a mother about to give birth to her baby, experiences major pain and discomfort going through that childbirth. But when she sees that baby, when she sees that baby, the pain of childbirth begins to fade away from her mind. Why? Because she now enjoys this precious gift that God has given to her. Jesus is saying, that joy is coming. That joy is coming. And this word then, joy, Or rejoicing is highlighted about six times in this passage here. And I think that's really, really important for us as we consider the Christian life. As we consider the relationship that God has called us into, it is to be a relationship of joy. A relationship of joy. Let's let's trace that out though as we think about this gospel, that it's a gospel of joy. The good news of Jesus Christ, when truly understood, is a message of joyful news. It really is. Uh, The Greek word for gospel in the New Testament, you'll see it often there, is used to describe a person whose role it was when there was a war or a battle on um, in some faraway land or somewhere. He would be the one charged with bringing the good news, as it were, back to the nation or the city. So the people would be waiting back there with sort of bated breath, they would see this runner coming in, and he was the what they call the evangelon, where we get the word evangelist, and he would bring the good news, and the good news would be this good news, the battle is over and the war has been won. It was good news. So you've got to ask yourself how would people respond when that evangelist or evangelon would run back and say that? They wouldn't sort of get gloomy and sad, would they? Good news, the battle is over and we've won. They would rejoice, as we always rejoice when we hear good news of that nature. So the message of the gospel is meant to be a message of good news. And as we consider that God is our treasure, God is our portion, it's critical that we see that God also is the happiest being in the universe. God is the happiest being in the universe. And because He's the happiest being in the universe, he delights to then pour his joy into our lives as well as a result of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Let's just have a look at a few scriptures to quickly show about this joy in God's kingdom that we have in relationship through Jesus Christ. Matthew 13, says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Luke 15.7 Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Here's one from Acts, where Philip went down to Samaria and preached the gospel to them and many people got saved. And here's the response of the city, Acts 8.8 So there was much joy in the city. After the uh, proclaiming of the gospel. Romans fourteen seventeen, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. One more in case you haven't got it by this stage. Galatians five twenty two. But the fruit of the Spirit, God's Spirit dwelling and living within us, produces in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, And so on. It's only a small number of passages or scriptures that I've taken out of the New Testament which highlights God's kingdom is about joy. The relationship that we enter into is about joy in Jesus Christ. God is the happiest and most delighted being in the universe. And that is who God is in himself. He doesn't need us to make him happy. God's not deficient in some way and He somehow needs a relationship with us to make Him happy. God is happy, completely happy within the Godhead, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. God is the happiest being in the universe. Think of where Adam and Eve were before they rebelled against God. They were the happiest creatures on earth. They certainly were. They lived in pure peace and pure joy before God as God's creation, enjoying this joyful God. But they rebelled against God and they lost their joy and they lost their peace. They still wanted peace and joy, but now they were looking for it anywhere else except from God at this particular time. They weren't looking for it from God who's the source of it all. And today still, humans, us, we are still pursuing peace and joy. We are. We are still looking for it though in all the wrong places to try and satisfy this longing within us for joy and for peace. These people answer the paper, I just want to be happy. It's still happening today. Where do we look for it? We going to look for it in relationships. If I can just find that guy, if I can just find that girl, if I can just find that right person to marry, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be joyful. And they go and get married and they work out a few weeks later, mm, not quite exactly as I thought it was going to be. It's not there we look for it somewhere else. We might look for it in vehicles or possessions or money or success. That will give me contentment and peace and joy and satisfaction. But it's not there. It doesn't hold out for us. It proves it can't do it. But this is what the gospel does. It calls us back to God to the way he created us. God unites himself to us through Jesus Christ in a relationship of joy God recreates this relationship of joy through the cross of Jesus Christ for the payment of our sins and then through the hope of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave that guarantees us an eternal life of joy. Which is exactly what Jesus is talking to these disciples about at this time. It's about the cross and it's about the resurrection. And the joy is this, if we think about it, that Jesus has completed or is about to complete in their particular context, what we could never complete in ourselves. Jesus is about to pay the price of sin, our sin, that we could never pay in ourselves. In fact, Jesus had no sin of his own to pay for. He purely went out of love to pay the price of our sin. And the joy is that we have eternal life now in Jesus Christ. The joy is that ultimately we will be with God forever, living in eternal joy. That will be our highest joy for all eternity. The, The source and fountain of it all, God himself, we will exist and live with him in nothing short of pure, unending, continually growing joy. The psalmist saw it like this as he thought about God. 1611 it says this You make known to me the path of life In your presence, in God's presence There is fullness of joy And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore The psalmist gets an accurate picture here of who God is The gospel is a gospel of joy That's why Jesus could confidently speak to his disciples in that way. Yes, you will have sorrow, but joy is coming. Joy is coming. And Another vital element here of this joy is the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit living within us. One of the most powerful things that God can do for us as disciples of Jesus Christ is to give himself to us, which is what he does Through the Holy Spirit, living and dwelling within us. An author out of America, J.D. Greer, says this. Better the Jesus inside of you than the Jesus beside you. Better the Jesus inside of you than the Jesus beside you. And what he's saying is this. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, lives within us, goes with us wherever we are. And one of the chief works of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, is to grow this joy, to to supernaturally, as it were, grow this joy as we see and grasp the message of the gospel of Jesus himself. Let me say something about this joy as well, which I think makes Christianity and Jesus Christ stand alone in comparison to any other cult or religion you may think of that's going about in this world. In Islam, there is no true joy. There is no true joy in Islam. You are working under guilt and fear to try and appease an unhappy God. That's what Islam is about. And you never know how you're doing. You're always uncertain of where you're traveling as far as this um, Islam God is concerned. It's guilt and it's fear. Buddhism and Hinduism is no different. It's no different. There is no true joy there either. You're always striving to become a better you in Buddhism or Hinduism. You're always trying to move up the scales of life to try and achieve perfection. You're trying to move up one more level, one more level. They claim peace and contentment, but they can never satisfy. There's always guilt and uncertainty there. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are exactly the same. These cults aren't Christian. They may quote Christian things, but they aren't Christian at all. And they haven't got any real gospel joy attached to their cult either. Their sense of salvation is based on works. It's knock on more doors, it's attend more training sessions, and it's work harder to make yourself a better JW or a Mormon. And you might get saved in their eyes in that way. There's no free joy there. It's only guilt and fear to do better. Christianity, through Jesus Christ, and the joy that it offers, stands alone. There is nothing else to compare with this in the world. It's a gospel of joy. Here's another aspect of this joy that sets it apart from anything else in this world. Look at what it says there at the, verse, uh, at the end of verse 22. It says this, And nobody can take your joy away from you, is what Jesus says to the disciples. Nobody can take your joy away from you. That's an astounding statement. It's a deep joy. It's a strong joy. It's actually infused into our very being just as the Holy Spirit indwells us. Nobody can take this joy away from you. So why is it that we can't have this joy taken off us? Why is it that nobody else can come and steal this joy from us? Because simply nothing can separate us from Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from what he has done for us. When Jesus has truly captivated our heart, his glory, his wonder transforms all our desires. We are renewed from the inside out. Our heart, when truly captivated by Christ and by the gospel, has a newfound object of desire, that we want Jesus. We want to have our life shaped in His. We want to have our life transformed by Him. We desire to have Christ and all that He is, and we don't want to let Him go. This is the work that God's Spirit does in us through Jesus Christ. He holds us close to Him. So people will gladly part with anything else in this world except Jesus. You can't take that joy away. Let's show how it looks here. Look, have a look at in, um, in Hebrews chapter 10, where we talk about this joy. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you've heard the gospel, you've heard who Jesus is, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. What's happening here? I think it looks like somebody's trying to take their joy away. Somebody's putting them through all sorts of dramas, trying to take their joy from them. That's how it looks like. Let's follow it on. Verse 34. For you had compassion on those who are in prison, and you joyfully accepted... The plundering of your property. Joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How do you joyfully accept somebody coming in and stealing and trashing all your earthly joys? Because that's what it's saying there. You joyfully accepted someone coming and plundering your property. Trashing your house, stealing your car, burning your clothes. How does somebody do that? Well, we're told this in the very next part of the verse. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. A better possession and an abiding one. Not a car that will rust out or clothes that will get eaten by moth or the banks that will go broke. The better possession is Jesus Christ that God so generously gives us. And what does Jesus give us? Joy. Joy. And nobody can take that away from you. Because nobody wants to part with the most supreme treasure we have in this world. And this is the joy that the Holy Spirit desires to grow inside of each and every one of us as we come into a relationship with Christ. It's what the Spirit does to us. He works to grow our joy in God. Now, this is really important for us again. We live in a broken world that doesn't experience all this God-given joy in its fullness, yet the disciples are going through this very same thing. There's sorrow, but there's joy coming. And we all live in that sort of broken stage of this life. One thing about joy, as we discover is often it's experienced at its deepest levels in times of personal hardship, personal challenge. Look what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians. He says this, I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. Paul's experienced affliction, challenges, brokenness of this world, But he says, in all our affliction, I'm overflowing in joy. So how does Paul, or how do we, overflow in joy during affliction, during trial, during challenge, during brokenness? How do we grow this joy so that we overflow with joy during those times? The first thing we do is we grow our faith in Jesus. Look at this uh, verse in Romans fifteen, where Paul's writing again. He says this May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let me read that again for us. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and That's what we want. That's the relationship God calls us into. And peace. How's he going to do that? What's the next two words say? In believing. In our faith. In our trust. In our believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God the Holy Spirit fills us with joy through our faith, through our believing. So our faith becomes key in growing our joy in who Jesus is. So to grow our joy, we must grow our faith. Because it's through believing that the God of whole hope fills us with joy and peace. How does that look for us? Or maybe it might look just like this. I visit the doctor and he sits me down to hear the results of my scans. He tells me this. He says it's stage 3 cancer and you've got a 50-50 chance of survival. My first reaction is I'm quite numb. My mind can't think straight. I wasn't prepared for those words. I'm feeling deflated, I'm feeling empty. The world just seems to be spinning around me as those words echo in my mind. A 50-50 chance of survival. In the natural, in the natural, there's absolutely nothing to be joyful about when I hear that. In the natural. But, God fills me with joy and peace by believing. Through faith, doesn't he? As we just saw in Romans. So I stir my faith into action. I begin to enliven my faith. I begin to breathe life into my faith. And how do I do that? I go to John chapter 11, verse 25, 26, and I might think about this. Jesus talking to Martha says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? As I've left the doctor's surgery and I go home, I reflect and think on that truth there that I read in John chapter 11. And the Holy Spirit takes that truth and layers it word upon word deep down into my heart. It helps me to think about that, reflect on that and meditate on that. And then what happens is, my faith rises as I believe that truth. My faith rises as I believe that truth. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And though you die, you will live. Then through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, my mind begins to change. My thinking begins to change. Instead of despair and fear of cancer and dying, sort of, crushing me with those thoughts I now have hope hope that God is with me all the way through this challenge and even if he doesn't heal me and restore me which God can do in his sovereignty and his healing powers even if he doesn't do that I know that I will beat cancer by dying and being with Jesus forever alive with him that builds hope within me. And that actually remarkably produces joy within me at the same time. That's the joy and the hope that we can reflect out of our lives to other people and then give a reason for the hope that lies within us. As our faith rises in who God is and the truth of who he is, our joy rises and our hope rises in him. Do you want your joy to grow in Jesus? Well then, what are you doing to grow your faith? If you want your faith to grow, if you want your joy to grow, you need to grow your faith in Christ. Here's another way to grow our joy in the gospel that God gives. We see this Joy grow through prayer. Look at this in verse 24. What does Jesus say there? Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. Prayer grows my joy. You might be asking, well, how does that look? Do I just pray? Well, yeah, that's sort of how easy it is. Prayer is a faith-filled act. It is an absolutely, probably the most um, strongest faith-filled act that we carry out as believers in Christ. From an outsider's point of view, is if they were to look on at us sitting there praying, they think, "Are you just talking into thin air or something?" Because your eyes are closed, and not that you have to pray with your eyes closed, but probably are, and you pray, and someone from the outside says, "What's what are you doing in there? Who are you talking to?" It's a faith-filled act. What's happening when I'm praying? When we pray, we're generally asking God to do something, aren't we? That's generally how we pray. Often it can be giving thanks and praise, but often we're asking for somebody to be saved or somebody to get healed or we're asking for us to to grow in holiness ourselves or we're asking for wisdom in a difficult situation. I'm not sure how to get through this or I'm asking that God will soften somebody's heart that I'm talking to or I'm asking that God will help me to break an addiction that I have in my life. Or I'm, I'm asking God to help me overcome a, um, an emotional or stressful relationship that I'm in. We're asking God to do something for us. And that list could go on and on and on as we think about those things. But we're asking God to do something that I can't do in my own strength. I'm not able to do that. When we pray, we're acknowledging that God is all-powerful and sovereign, that He can do all things according to His will and purposes, that He reigns and rules over this earth. We're acknowledging that as we come and we pray. But we're also acknowledging there's so much stuff I can't do in my strength. So here's what happens in prayer. God mysteriously, mysteriously in his sovereignty has ordained that his purposes and will for this world, for this universe, are remarkably carried out through our prayers. It's an amazing statement. God mysteriously and in his sovereignty has ordained that his purposes and will are carried out through our prayers. And we can't sort of fully wrap our mind around that. We just have to believe that. That God's sovereign purposes and will is carried out through this universe by our prayers. So what's the purpose of God working through prayer in that way? that he would mysteriously and sovereignly carry out his purposes through our prayers. Two reasons, really good, strong reasons. God is glorified when we pray and he carries out his will. The glory doesn't go to us because of our hours and hours potentially in prayer. The glory goes to God, the one who answers those prayers. When we pray and we see somebody get saved by God, We stand back and we worship because we see God's power working. It's been working through our prayers. God's grace has been there to save somebody. God looks glorious to us when he does that through prayer. We see a mighty God. So God gets the glory through prayer. That's the first reason he wants us to pray. So he is glorified in us. And the second purpose here that I see that God is doing when we pray is this. As we receive God's answers to our prayers, this serves to build our joy in Him. It really does. This is why God calls us to pray. We delight in a God who loves us. He's already said that in this passage. And a God who delights to answer our prayer. When I pray about a really difficult situation, maybe I've got this really hard conversation I've got to come to and I don't know what to do. I'm asking for wisdom. I'm asking for guidance. I'm asking for the right words. I'm asking for strength. I'm not sure which way to go. I come earnestly before God and I pray. And then by faith, I enter into that conversation. I don't just sit there and wait for God to speak out through my mouth. I actually engage myself into that hard conversation, but I've already prayed beforehand going there. And then I come out the other side of that conversation, and then I'm amazed by God's grace. How he's actually worked through me to either soften my heart towards that person or how God's worked in both of our hearts through that conversation. And I can see how God is working there. And when I'm amazed by that, I come out the other side and I step back and see how how God has guided me through this. And I'm rejoicing in that. I'm joyful in that. That's what God does through prayer. He enables us to grow in our joy as we see him working in our lives for his glory and for our good. Gospel joy grows through prayer. Do you want to grow in gospel joy? Do you want to grow in joy? Come before God in Jesus' name through the Holy Spirit's power and pray. And God will grow joy in your heart. I'll guarantee that to you, 100%. If you engage in this prayer and you see God working in your life through various situations, you will step back and you will rejoice in the greatness of this God who has uh, worked on our behalf for His glory. Pray about everything. Now, that doesn't mean you have a blank check to go and pray about anything and expect God will give you everything that you ask and pray for because it says there... um, ask and you will receive. We always understand we pray according to God's will. Because you might want to go pray for a Rolls Royce. That might be alright, but it's probably a good chance you won't get a Rolls Royce. So we pray according to God's will, that our joy will be uh, full. So this is the gospel joy that shines through Jesus Christ as our treasure. He calls us into this relationship with joy. And it's our joy today here at Exchange Church to hold out this same Jesus Christ today to this world where we live in, the greatest shepherd and region and beyond. We want people to come into a joyful relationship with Him and discover who Jesus is, this joy that nobody can take away from us, this joy that is eternal, and this joy that we can experience in very real and supernatural ways. Come freely then in God's grace and receive the joy that Jesus Christ has for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that we can come and uh, look here at this uh, passage in John 16 and we see the joy that Jesus talks about, the rejoicing these disciples uh, are going to experience. Lord, we pray today, God, you'd help us to grow this joy in our own hearts. Grow this joy by growing our faith and our trust and our belief and our hope in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Grow this joy, Lord, in the hardest situations of life and see it become deep and strong and real within us as we think about uh, your truth and apply it to our life situations. Pray, God, that we would grow this joy through prayer. Ask, Holy Spirit, that you would engage us and uh, help us to come and to pray. Earnest praying. Praying to see your will outwork its. Uh, way through this world where we live in and to see that joy, as it were, come into our hearts as we see you working for your glory and for our good in this world. God, I pray you'd help us to be people who want to share this joy uh, into the world where we live and to see others uh, come into this relationship that Jesus Christ gives. God, we thank you for that joy today and pray you'd help us to express it out through our lives as the reality of that grows deeper and deeper within us. Uh, Lord, we ask we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to ask Laurel now to come and to uh, share with us around the communion table as we uh, experience that joy there as well.